welcome back to Where Today Meets Tomorrow. I'm Bettina Prümper and I'm your host for Siemens Global Marketing. I will present the special podcast mini-series as part of Where Today Meets Tomorrow, where we talk about how to realize innovation and digital transformation in the context of the digital age. We have recorded over five episodes dedicated to the digital transformation for quality management. Today, we will talk about how to construct an agile quality ecosystem with a low-code app. In previous episodes, we not only discussed the trends and how they are forcing companies to pursue a model for digital enterprise, but we also talked a lot about the importance of digitalization and its role across manufacturing industries. Quality management is just so much more than simply replacing a paper-based system there are so many exciting opportunities for companies to boost their current situation and also to achieve new levels for agile quality management. Today's guest truly understands the challenges that industries are facing when the technology is constantly changing while they are also looking to achieve best-in-class quality performance. By saying this, I'm pleased to introduce Sebastian Bersch. He is the Director of Manufacturing Industries at Mendix. Welcome, Sebastian. How are you? I'm excellent. Hi, Bettina. And thanks for setting the stage so beautifully. You're welcome. And also, thanks for taking the time to discuss this topic today and also to provide your point of view about how it's possible to leverage innovation with low-code application and SaaS. But before we dive into the topic, could you please share a little bit about your background and role at Smendix? Sure. Glad to do so. You introduced me by name, Sebastian Bersch, joined a quality management company about 10 years ago and worked initially with automotive companies in the United States for them as a, as a project manager, also worked in Germany with some industrial manufacturing and, and, and supply chain companies. After some time, they actually asked me to run the operations in China. So I spent a couple of years in Shanghai after that as the, as the GM and, and CEO of, of IBS Shanghai. After about two, two and a half years, we then got integrated into, into Siemens. So that's what made me a Siemens member at the time. I spent the next couple of years then running the manufacturing operations management as well as manufacturing planning portfolio development teams for uh, Asia Pacific. I did that out of the, the Singapore office. And yeah, after a combined, I think, six and a half years in Asia Pacific, I now thought it's, a, it's about time that I introduce my kids to my, to my homeland. So I'm now back in Germany. Already, you said that I, that I work for the Mendix organization now as the director of manufacturing industries. So basically, it, it is now my duty to help and foster continuous adoption of the low-code platform into all the different manufacturing industries and, and the different manufacturing domains. Aside from that, I've, I've served until most recently on the Asia-Pacific board of MESA, which some of our listeners might recognize as a global think tank that fosters the adoption of smart manufacturing practices in companies across the globe and across different industries. Thank you for these insights. So as part of digital transformation, we are aware that supporting a concept of agile quality will be more and more important. Manufacturer can weather uncertainties and convert them to opportunities depending on their agility to adapt to new market demands and create new business models and bring products and innovation to life. So how have you seen manufacturers do that most recently? 
In the introduction, I already said I, I spent quite some time in Southeast Asia in the recent past. And, and obviously, a lot of the supply chains for Western manufacturers start or have their initial links there. And in the past 18, 20 months, with the unprecedented imp impacts of COVID-19, you've obviously seen that has been a much greater urgency in manufacturers to reinvent themselves in the way how they live their processes to produce more agility and at the same time more more resilience. And that goes across industries where companies are prioritizing the need to quickly adapt to supply and, and demand changes and, and I try to do that with minimum disruption. As an example, we've seen the massive changes that could have happened to what you manufacture with, with a lot of companies starting to pivot from automotive manufacturing to, to ventilator manufacturing and from producing what vodkas or drinks or, or, or cosmetics to producing distillants and, and hand sanitizers. And to be honest, I would think that a lot of companies have now been warned, like there's a massive increment that was paid on the market for this hand sanitizers. Right. So if you weren't able to pivot at the first time where there was such a peak, that's sort of OK. That's not great, but it's sort of OK. But if such a surge comes again within the next 10, 15 years and you again won't be able to capitalize from it, then I think that's that's completely on you. And I think a lot of manufacturers are, are recognizing that and are therefore recognizing that digitalization and adaptability become more critical than ever before. I think we were able to see that around here as well, but can you help us with an example of how that led to innovation in the realm of quality in a manufacturing company? So I said a lot of a lot of stuff happened around the supply chain, right? And and when you have these early supply chain N-tier companies in South Asia and Southeast Asia, for the longest time, the companies that benefit from them or the companies that consider themselves being the OEMs they were not able to control the supply chain very much. And on the quality side, you were obviously not able to perform audits on site, right? You, you simply couldn't travel across country borders. So what I've seen is that, that a company came to us and, and, and looked for our advice in trying to help them to audit those companies remotely. And that was originally obviously born out of necessity, But now being trialed and being tested successfully, that actually has become the default for several different categories of audits in, in this company. So that is one area where you can clearly see the value of low code for quality with its ability to easily connect to various data sources and, and visualize them in real time, as well as allowing easy adoption and personalization, potentially even in, in mobile native uh, environments and applications. A second example um, I have is from a manufacturer that is a bit of a, a smaller production volume company. They obviously noticed that more and more of their suppliers fell behind with the disruptions we had to supply chains in the past 18 months. They recognized also that some of those suppliers, irrespective of their commitments, were sending the little volume they were able to put out to their larger customers first. Now, Obviously, you can't then just decide to become a larger customer, so you, you won't be making any jumps in the packing order of your significant suppliers. 
So ultimately, this company was trying to manage their supply chain in a way so that they would not fall further and further behind on their own delivery schedules. So what they came up with was a, a fallback plan of, of a sort of crowdsourcing of parts from, from local suppliers. And when I say that, you, everyone can, can already imagine that that obviously comes along with a lot more quality-related work, as well as in, in prevention, as in, in detection. You just had to invest more in the way how you were performing quality control when supervising and, and checking on these, on these locally sourced parts. And the company that we were working with was able to do that using all the power of low code to adapt. And when I say adapt, I mean adapt in two ways. I obviously mean adapt in terms of the system and its ability to perform quality checks for a much wider variety of characteristics and, and with much stricter measures and also on mobile devices in the field but also adapt in terms of the user experience because you needed a, but, uh, a much bigger workforce to then perform the quality checks and you needed them to understand what they needed to do simply by using the application because regulations didn't allow you to do one-on-one -on -one or small group face-to-face -face coachings, right? You made some very important examples, Sebastian. So let's now analyze how the complex scenarios will impact the quality management systems in the future. If we refer to historical landscapes for QMS and Brownsfields, they are characterized by tremendous diversity in the IT landscapes comprising of homegrown legacy and also commercial desktop applications. In addition, Many manufacturing enterprises also add to this complexity with globalized and also decentralized production and probably countless acquisitions that inherit new sets of legacy systems. So I now have a few questions for you. What is the value of implementing a unique environment for digitalization also for QMS? And maybe also how can a company be fast in achievement of results? and What role does Siemens play? Many questions in one go, but I'll, I'll try to go after them one by one. So maybe first of all, the, the unique environment for, for digitalization around QMS. I think the, the reality there is that you have tons of legacy systems out in the field, out in, in brownfield um, environments and, and facilities. So they are still delivering value. They encapsulate some sort of tribal knowledge, some well-thought-out, proven know-how about a particular process setup. And that is something that manufacturers want to preserve. So simply getting rid of those systems is perceived too complex, too disruptive, and by many also too risky, right? And, and, and no matter what basis that is founded on, that is a subjective notion that, that I don't think you do yourself a favor if you start arguing with that. However, while... QMS solutions are the foundation of, of manufacturing digitalization. Low-code platforms are then emerging as the natural complement to accelerate the, the agility in that environment. So, for example, if you look at one of the recent um, Gardner reports, that says that by 2024, low-code application development will be responsible for more than 65%, so more than two-thirds of, of application development activity. And I think that's something critical to, to, to recognize and then to understand that Siemens in acquiring Mendix 
really has set the benchmark in what low-code needs to be able to deliver for industrial software. So it's not only about allowing customer to extend functionality in domains and subdomains covered by your off-the-shelf product, but it really needs to allow you to extend into domains previously uncovered, potentially uncovered by our software solutions, but just as well uncovered by business processes and, and solutions in the realm of what the customer wants to do. So if you are adopting a web shop, a web go-to-market first, a new way of licensing the use of your product, this is something that, that goes along with changing a ton of applications in your business. And it's simply a bit easier to do that if you leverage all the good knowledge and all the good processes that are in your existing applications already, but you extend into the new space by using the adaptability, the flexibility, and the speed of low-code. So if you go with Siemens and Siemens in, in combination with the Mendix platform, then you basically get the best of both worlds now. You, you get on the one hand the, the market-leading low-code, no-code capabilities on a multi-experience platform that that allows you to tailor applications to the particular needs and practices of your company, as well as you are sourcing industry knowledge by leveraging Siemens's rich manufacturing domain experience and the capabilities that we have built in areas such as manufacturing quality into our solutions already. So that is basically precisely why we launched Mendix Manufacturing Industries at the most recent Mendix World event which is a marketplace for templates and solutions for specific domains in the manufacturing industries, which are then rich in built-in functionality, but still based on low-code, no-code, to give you the maximum freedom to adapt and extend as you as a company adapt and extend. That surely sounds like a great way of getting started uh, with low-code, especially if I would be a quality engineer and haven't used it before. So can you also provide some examples of industry-tailored, low-code, purpose-built apps argumenting quality management capabilities that are available on the Mendix manufacturing industry? On the quality system side, we, we talk about purpose-built apps that are available for offline sampling, sampling registrations for, for laboratories, handling of offline inspection executions and, and electronic procedures, and then also portals to, to include various external parties into your, your search for root causes in, in case you faced any defects. I think one of, one of the examples in particular I wanted to allude to is the Quality Inspector app that we've built and that is available on, on Mendix Manufacturing Industries, which basically is an application that allows you to either create quality plans in, in the app itself or to simply download them from via Team Center Quality, ALM Polarion, or, or even any source outside the Accelerator portfolio. And these quality plans then can have tons of tasks, tons of specific configurations um, that are required based on our configuration of the product that, that is being checked. And within these many tasks, there can be visual checks, and these visual checks might need reference pictures. They might require you as the worker to take pictures of the actual product and the defect as a proof. It might require you to reference multi-language failure catalogs to characterize an issue or, or a defect properly. 
could include various variable characteristics where you need to check nominal values, have an eye on the associated upper and lower tolerances, as well as the control limits. You might even want to source this data immediately from, from a CMM or, or another machine that you, uh, that you use in your production environment directly. And then you might have all those typical attributive characteristic checks uh, potentially as well. And you want to combine all of that with an app that guides the worker specifically to how the task is looking at this specific configuration of the product every time you do it. And obviously, you also want to do that in an environment that is adapted to the device that the customer, uh, or not the customer, but that the worker is using. And then ultimately, you, you need to make sure that, that you provide for the, for the ability to consider that certain checks might need to be skipped, might need to be flagged, and then ultimately might need to be reworked at a, at a quality gate or at the final stage. So all of that base functionality is something that we've built into that template. And then again, we leave you the freedom to sort of extend the template and extend the user experience to the likings that you have and to, to your needs. This app for me is an example that perfectly illustrates the need for low-code, no-code in quality, right? So I already spoke about the need for personalization before, the need to adapt user interfaces and, and processes to adhere to workers in different geographies, different skill sets, and so on. But even if those processes were all equal and the qualification and the skill sets of those workers would all be equal, there are still differences in what different companies in the same space need. So, so one point that I always allude to in, in this area is, is sort of the 4i principle as an example. Most listeners of, of configure-to-order, engineer-to-order manufacturing companies will notice that as something that they practice as well. But basically, every automotive OEM has it. And, and I've worked with a couple of the premium automotive OEMs in Germany, with uh, quite some of the Chinese brands and in Southeast Asia as well, right? And all of these companies have some sort of 4i principle built into the way how they secure quality. And if you just tell them we have 4i principle as an out-of-the-box feature, initially it seems everyone is happy. But when you then start implementing the particular application, you recognize that in no organization does that principle work exactly like it works in the others. When it comes to the criteria that define which defects need the 4i principle and which ones don't, which roles and responsibilities do regular workers have versus shift leaders, which responsibilities or certificates might be required in order to be allowed to sign off as, as the second signee, and so on and so forth. So if you dive down in the details of the process, you recognize quickly that despite it being sort of the same process that achieves the same goal in every company, the way how it's being lived and consequently the way how the worker needs to be guided to do it is different. That basically then illustrates the great power of, of low code in that space, right? Where the engineer now has the possibility to change the layout of the page, to change which button needs to be located where and to even change the business logic behind the button potentially even, even include a completely new page into the application with the specific need to that principle. So in the end, if, if he or she does not do that, then you would also have a clear indication that 
they didn't necessarily have an issue to adhere to the process in in your solution in the first place, but maybe they had a much different issue with the process to begin with. Hold on a second. Here I have to jump in with what I believe is one of the arguments one always sees about low-code and no-code. Do I really want my engineers to spend time on building applications? Favorite topic of mine. <laughs> Excellent question. A question that I seem to to hear often. I can only assume that it's re rooted in, in some sort of misconception that happens often around the adoption of new technologies, right? So the reference I like to make here is towards one of those super typical memes that I, I seem to see on my LinkedIn feed every second day when somebody posts this, this little sticker where it says, CFO says to CFO, what happens if we train our people and they leave? And then the CEO responds, what happens if we don't and they stay? Gets tons of likes, a super catchy way to say it, but really for me that that is something that companies need to need to follow up on and what skill set what training in the digital age could these people be talking about rather than making their workforce more ready for the digital age right and 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 in that context i think you need to see the opportunity that low code no code platforms really really hand to you uh, and you need to see it through three lenses the first lens is at the graduates you want to hire and at the people that have just joined your company. If they come with an engineering background, they come a lot more digitally skilled than they came before. But they also come with a different mindset. They do not want to work in an environment where they have to work in client-server environments uh, and where they have no influence on the applications they want to work with because that's not what they are used to. So why, why would they want to sort of make that step back As they, as they join the workforce. So as a means of, you can see the adaption of low code in your business departments as a means of being attractive to young talent. The second lens is, is, is the lens of mid-year professionals, right? Look, look at people like me, look at people that are 10, 15 years in the workforce, manager level, director level. Those people, people like me, still have to work another 25 years until we retire, right? And if we look at how value is shaped in any sort of industry right now, then I think we really have to recognize that software is the biggest value driver for absolutely everything. So I wouldn't bank on people that, that are in their, in their 30s and 40s now not needing any sort of application development skills whatsoever for the next decades that they are still in the workforce. It's certainly something that needs to be considered in order to put them in a position to continue to deliver value to, to their companies over the course of their careers. I really think that in both of those areas, low-code is the most logical path to make that transition and to upskilling your workforce. And it's the most natural path to, to creating a digital culture in your organization. And then the last lens is the lens where, where you look at, uh, at top management, actually. So uh, in a recent MIT uh, Center of Information Technology research study, it was found that companies with a digitally savvy top management team significantly outperformed their peers. Sounds great. 
So if we have any CEOs or CFOs listening in on this, low-code is not just something to decide upon. It is something to get involved in. So how do you think, is it possible to create a digital culture that you speak of and that enhances speed and agility across several apartments, including in agile quality? That sort of connects to the, to the previous question already a little bit, right? I mean, if you are okay with putting those training programs forward, if you are okay with putting the opportunities out there for low-code to be adapted in your company, you are doing certainly a great step. Not the only step, but certainly a very good one. Because low-code, no-code platforms are are putting the, the content workforce first, right? The, the quality workforce, the production workforce, the engineers. The local platform is empowering the quality and the manufacturing domain experts in your organization across the globe, across all the locations to really transform their knowledge into scalable applications. And then these purpose-built applications by the citizen developers, they enhance adoption, obviously, which is absolutely key to whatever change management you need when you bring in new applications. And then ultimately, they of course foster a change of culture from central application development and configuration to a more user personalization focused culture that sustains standard cores, but leaves the door open for adaptation. I guess this deep dive will be very useful to provide some guidance to our listeners and probably also provide them with a lot of food for thoughts. Unfortunately, we are already at the end of today's episode. So to sum it up, all manufacturers know they must go through a digital transformation, but they also know they have a lot of tribal knowledge and also legacy systems on which they are reliant. So low-code gives manufacturers the ability to capture expertise without disrupting their day-by-day -day activities in a way that facilitates more rapid adaption. Thank you, Sebastian, for this great discussion and sharing with us all these valuable insights. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me. And of course, I'd like to extend my many thanks to our listeners. I'm really glad you tuned into this podcast episode today. And if you enjoyed it, please be sure to come back for more insights about quality. Also, for further information, you can visit us online at siemens.com slash teamcenterquality and use the contact section to reach out to us. Or you can just send us an email to mom-marketing.plm at siemens.com. This is the Digital Transformation for Quality Management, a mini-series part of Where Today Meets Tomorrow. And I hope you will join us again for our next podcast episode. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. 